the reps will be the one coming to me with the agenda and I find it useful simply because that's again how you create ownership and you're not being the one uh, telling them what to do but they're owning their own work and they're managing themselves and being the best employee they can be for the company as well. Corner, the podcast that helps you open and thrive in foreign markets. This is Tiff here speaking, and full disclosure, I am quite excited as today it is the first episode covering management best practices to lead an international sales team. And as the first guest introducing the topic, I am thrilled to welcome Nadia Komnenich, Head of Business Development at Lemlist. Lemlist is a company which managed to get to $10 million dollars of annual recurring revenue in less than five years and completely bootstrapped. And Nadia has been managing the sales team behind his success, always leading with empathy, accountability, and authenticity. Today, she shares her best tips on how she breaks the old sales management practices by giving ownership and autonomy to her international remote sales team. Nadia, I am so glad to receive you here at International Corner. Very happy to have you for this first episode about international management. It's going to be very interesting to dig into the way you do it with your team and other topics. But how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me today on the show. Really lovely to be here talking to you. <laughs> the pleasure is, uh, is mutual. So perhaps before digging into today's matter, can I ask you to introduce yourself to the audience, uh, Lemlist, the company you're part of, and the international scope that Lemlist is covering today? Definitely. So um, as, as you said, like I'm Nadia, I'm a head of business development at Lemlist. Uh, we are a bootstrapped company that uh, went from zero to 10 million in annual recurring revenue in uh, less than four years, uh, completely bootstrapped. Uh, bootstrapped meaning that we didn't receive any funding. Uh, we are saying, uh, obviously, like we're growing organically with outbound, etc. cetera. Uh, our scope itself is quite international. So we're covering global market. Um, the product itself is a sales automation tool. Uh, we basically help uh, companies, uh, sales teams uh, reach out to potential prospects, uh, automate their multi-channel outreach, uh, and build relationships with prospects. So as I mentioned, like our um, client base is really global. Uh, we are addressing all of the markets. Um, however, for outbound, obviously, we're going kind of a bit more specific. We're, we're not able to cover everything. So uh, this is kind of a quick intro about Lamlist, but we will dig deeper into uh, into our outreach efforts as well um, throughout the podcast. Yep, definitely. And could you perhaps tell us a little bit, if you can share, of course, kind of some numbers about the like how much you guys are doing in France compared to your mm -hmm. international um, markets? Mm -hmm. Definitely. So we are a French company. So obviously, when we started the company itself, like in the initial two years of Lamlist, um, most of our client base was actually French. Uh, I would say that uh, the ratio was between 70% French-based companies to 30% international. Right now, that number is de definitely different. Um, I would say that we do have still a lot of French uh, customers, but uh, U.S. has become uh, one of the pro most prominent um, customers of ours. Uh, so 
right now us and french are uh, the biggest customers of ours and then obviously like globally we have uh, clients from all over all over the world joining us as well Okay. And I think that's actually pretty good that you guys have a very big US base because mm-hmm. uh, you're still based from France, right? Like actually working on that market. And I think most companies actually try to get it uh, to get into that market mm-hmm. directly from there. So it's it's nice to see, you know, some companies successfully do business in there mm-hmm. without actually being in the country. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's been definitely like a challenge. I would say that uh, when you're Uh, international company and you don't have like really SDRs or salespeople on the ground, it's quite harder to actually get uh, customers in those markets. However, uh, one of the benefits potentially was that uh, we started doing outbound when the COVID hit. Uh, so everybody was actually online. So even like in-person uh, events didn't, uh, didn't happen. So what we were doing from Europe salespeople were doing from us and there was not a lot of difference uh, between us and them in that case um and uh, one of the things that really helped us out a lot when uh, when it comes to penetrating the us market was really building our brand company brand on one side but also the personal brands of our founder of our sdrs of heads off on linkedin and connecting with the us um thought leaders and uh, our ICP at the end of the day. So this is kind of what really leveraged with that we leveraged to kind of get, get these inbound leads coming in from the US as well. That's amazing. And we're talking about sales and you are the one managing the sales team, which mm-hmm. is behind this success. Can you maybe tell us more about them? Um, how many people do you manage their role? If they're only uh, AEs or do you also manage BDRs? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So uh, sales at Lamis has changed uh, dramatically and drastically like over the co- course of uh, the last two years that I've been here. Uh, when I joined, uh, I was uh, first obviously like uh, figuring out the process by myself. So like for the initial nine months, Um, I was actually running sales by myself, uh, figuring out our ICP, our verticals, uh, messaging, etc. Um, so it was kind of full cycle sales for myself. Uh, and then when we started hiring, I've hired full cycle sales. So we're not splitting the roles between SDRs, account executives, etc. It's all uh, the full cycle sales is being owned by one salesperson. Um, when we started initially with uh, sales, we started we focused initially on the inbound because we were getting obviously like a lot of inbound leads. We wanted to increase the lifetime value of these leads, uh, uh, increase the retention of the customers, decrease churn. uh, And we've succeeded in that. However, at one point, obviously like our growth uh, became just like massive. So at that point we wanted to kind of bring more, uh, we are really a product led company. So we realized that uh, customers that are coming on free trial can easily onboard themselves. Uh, So we started focusing on outbound uh, and uh, at one point the team grew to, uh, I believe, six or seven people uh, at at one stage in uh, at time. And we had obviously like full cycle sales reps. Uh, They were all international. Uh, I had people in um, France, in Ukraine, uh, in Cyprus. Um, Right now I'm also hiring. We're getting a a person joining us from Turkey, another person joining us from Serbia, um, another person joining us from um, um, uh, India. Uh, So we're really like a remotely uh, remote uh, remote team that is uh, conducting full cycle sales. Okay, and you so you're you're saying uh, people you know from France, the UK, Cyprus, and you actually talked in the past. So does that mean that today the team is different? You have some people who left, or you guys shared responsibilities differently? Yeah, exactly. So like the 
the team has changed. Uh, we've had like a, uh, when we crossed our ten million dollars in uh, annual recurring revenue, that was our kind of our milestone. We decided to kind of uh, take a look at again at the, the team that was formed, uh, figure out what is the next step for us, which is uh, twenty million dollars in annual recurring revenue by the end of the year. So we really wanted to kind of make sure that we have a proper team in place. Um, and we realized that uh, for some of our team members, it was not a fit, uh, both for both sides, basically. So we realized that uh, uh, we kind of had to have a reorganization of the sales team. Uh, so I've started hiring again in uh, December last year. Uh, right now, we're forming the team. My idea is to kind of have one part of the team being remote and uh, one part of the team uh, being formed in Serbia, actually, where I'm currently based, uh, so that I can also lead them in person and actually see which one which kind of a type of management works better for us and like what brings most results um so currently uh, we will have a five people on the team uh, but we're looking to to increase it to 20 by the end of the year wow okay yeah so definitely some big changes but actually i think exactly. it resonates a lot because what you need to go right from zero to one million mm. and then one to ten ten to twenty is really different every time like you have to change your game to make sure to go to the next stage exactly exactly That is so exciting. And you mentioned two very important aspects that mm -hmm. I actually want to cover with you today regarding management practices. When we talk about managing an international team, and you just said it, you first have to manage a lot of different nationalities and mm. also, obviously, some people that are completely remote. I really want to dig into these aspects and perhaps starting with nationalities. What is, do you think, the impact of nationality in the way you manage people? I would say that there is a huge impact uh, on the team management that you need to uh, have uh, and really being able to uh, adapt to different cultures and expectations of how people like and prefer to be managed. Uh, I would say that for like if I were to compare Serbia and France, Uh, my French team members, when I've joined, obviously, like I was uh, Serbians uh, by like nature, are a bit more aggressive, uh, very transparent, very honest, very direct. Uh, so when we're talking to people, to Serbian people, they will never get offended. But when you're talking to French people, obviously, like you need to be more subtle, you need to be more uh, careful about the words that you're using, etc. So I would say that like my biggest learnings in the beginning was actually balancing Um, this out and uh, kind of stopping myself for being that direct uh, with the team members. Um, <laughs> so obviously like this is for friends, but every uh, nationality, every culture is different. I would say that with Ukraine, Serbia and, and Ukraine, he has a lot of similarities. So for me, it was quite easy to manage those team members. With France, it was a completely different culture. Right now we're going to hire in Turkey, in India. So I will see how that will go. But I would say that when you're hiring At the end of the day, you're looking for the same mindset. Uh, so like the startup mindset, growth mindset, grinder mindset, and uh, uh, all the other things are kind of a subtle um, dif differences between them that you need to kind of uh, learn and get to know the person that you're talking to and really adapt to their uh, preferred way of management. So if you guys can hire remotely, mm -hmm. how do you manage to compare different candidates for same job, right? If there are, let's say, really different nationalities coming in into your pipeline, like how do you manage to get through, right? Because depending on where people come from, some people might be more shy at the beginning, but then, you know, they can totally reveal themselves. So like, do you, do you have some tips that you've seen really comparing like different nationalities for same uh, role basically within your team? 
So I would say that I'm lucky because I'm hiring in sales. I would say that for different teams, it's a different story because uh, obviously, like, uh, let's say you're hiring developers, developers can be introverted. Like it's a different, just different mentality within the developers, but salespeople tend to have more or less similar personality. Uh, and we know what we're looking for when it comes to the soft skills. So we're always looking for people that have empathy, they're able to communicate. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, no matter the nationality and their own personal um, way of thinking and working, we know what we want from the uh, salesperson in a way that he will communicate or she will communicate eventually with the sale with a with a prospect. So at the end of the day, we don't care about like the nationality; it's just about your personality towards the prospect itself. Um, and if it's because of your nationality that you don't have those skills that are needed, again, this is not going to be like a discrimination part is just going to be like a skill part that we are looking for mm -hmm. at the end of the day for the salesforce. Okay, great. And there was a um, second aspect, very important that you mentioned that you're going to have some people that are sometimes going in office because they're in France and uh, I think you have an office based in Paris, if, mm -hmm. I, if I recall, and some people who are going to be and who are fully remote. How do you manage that dynamic to really create an environment where everyone feels included, regardless of their location, whether they are in office or remote? Uh, I would say that I have a lot of help from also from our head of people and our um, our company in, in itself. Uh, we all also organize a lot of um, team buildings, a lot of in-person events. So, like uh, we would travel also to to Paris to the, to our office. We will get to know the people once they join the company. They are having conversations with every single person in the company, like quick networking chats. Uh, we have something that is called the Lamverse, which is our virtual office. Um, and this is, I believe, what helped me the most, uh, simply because in Lamverse itself, we are able to see each other. We are able to stop by somebody's desk, uh, talk to them. Uh, we are sharing like a conference. We have a conference room there. So it's kind of a virtual office so that even if you're, if you're remote, you feel like you're working in an office with those people. Um, and uh, even if you're in the office or in the remote, at the end of the day, you're still looking at your laptop, you're still doing your job. It's just about like having this clear communication across the departments, which we do have thanks to, to Lambers and also to uh, a lot of uh, uh, team buildings, a lot of uh, weekly meetings, one-on-ones, um, -on etc. And when everyone is gathering uh, in office, so when you manage to really uh, make people, you know, that are fully remote come to the office, do you feel that everyone kind of get together or... Sometimes there can be some groups with people who who are really used to see each other a lot. Like, do you do you really manage, you know, to have this uh, mingle happening? Uh, I would say that like, definitely, like as in any other company, like no matter if you're remote or in um, like in the office, like there's always going to be groups of mm. people that like prefer to stick together. However, we as a company, we have built a culture where people are really open and helpful to each other. Like we want to kind of know everybody. Um, we are very friendly as well, meaning that at the end of the day, like if somebody joins and like comes to the Paris to meet them, they will always stick with them. So they will always be like together uh, and talking like we're very inclusive. So I, I've never had this kind of issue of like not being able to get somebody uh, to mingle with anybody else in the company. That's great. And I think you mentioned something very important. Culture is very important. And that's mm -hmm. why when you hire, you have to be extra, extra careful because this exactly. is what's going to determine the soul, basically, of your mm -hmm. team and, and your mm -hmm. company. So, And I think that's, so that, that's something that at times, especially at the beginning, we might not always get it right, but we, we learn as we go through. And then we're like, yeah, this is, this is a no-brainer. Like we, we should not concede anything on that front. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly right. Exactly right. I would say that like uh, even when we're hiring, that's why I do believe that there is differences in uh, nationalities in the way that you would manage the team. But when you're hiring, you're not looking at those differences. You're looking for the same uh, culture, the same mindset and how this person will fit into your culture that you want to build. So I would say that uh, culture and your nationality will determine your own personality at some point to some extent, but at the end of the day, um, we're like, we're all the same in a startup world. I would say like, we all have this similar mindset. And when you find those people and you hire them in the company, uh, that's how you can build a culture, even though you're completely remote. Yep, exactly. And I would really love to dig into now your management structure prior to this conversation. And uh, I know that uh, we we talked also a little bit about personal branding and that's something you do a lot, especially around like management and you share some tips with people who are getting their first time into management, like how you should go about it, like how you should stick to what to what you believe in to manage your team with empathy, etc. So would really love to know a little bit more about like how you manage your team really on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. My first question is how do you keep each rep accountable? Because we've talked about how sometimes, especially when you have like a remote team, people tend to micromanage, uh, people tend mm-hmm. to really uh, uh, look at results, sometimes even on a, on a daily basis, and it can put a lot of stress mm-hmm. on the team. So how do you manage to keep everyone accountable without having to micromanage? Uh, I would say that the biggest, uh, so there are two key key elements here. One of them is, uh, again, we're going back to the hiring. So like you want to hire people that are, um, that have the high ownership uh, and they're able to kind of um, own their own work, uh, be uh, persistent in what they're doing, uh, know what the, like what the the objectives are and uh, don't need to be micromanaged. So like when you hire these kind of people, then your job gets easier at the end of the day. Like this is a very critical part of hiring to actually identify those people because if it's somebody that really needs um, 100% of your dedication every single day uh, side by side, that's not the person that you will be able to hire if you're hiring remotely. And it's just not going to work out for the both sides. Uh, Once you actually have these people, in the in the team and you've hired properly i would say the different part the second part is like not focusing on the day-to-day tasks and activity the volume of activities that you're doing it's more about like the objectives and the targets that you're um that you're setting um so like i personally don't go in and check what my each sales rep has the number of emails that he have sent in that day the number of linkedin messages etc we're always focusing on bringing value to the clients on actually starting the conversation on um, uh, the revenue that is coming to the company at the end of the day so like once they once they are aware that they're not going to be valued by the number of uh, emails that they have sent but the actually the number of clients that he have brought to the company that's when they start feeling this ownership and then they know that it's on their side of the field that they need to kind of do the work to actually be able to do the work at, uh, well at the end of the day. All right. So basically you're never really getting into the details. Mm-hmm. So that's, I imagine, you know, when everything is right, it's, it's really easy, but like, let's say <laughs> you have a rep that actually doesn't hit their number for X, Y, Z reason. Mm-hmm. Don't you have to go into that kind of details to, to try and see what's going on and what's, what's not working. For sure. So the way that I that I have structured the team is like every Friday we have uh, like uh, team meetings where we basically have 
um, what has been done this week, what are the objectives for the next week, and then we can hold each other accountable for the deliverables that are going to be uh, delivered in that following week. When something that's how I that's how I keep track. So at the end of the day, like if I see for this Friday, for example, somebody is not reaching their quota or they're not uh, getting the um, proper volume of uh, in the pipeline in place. Um, that's when I would talk to that rep. First, ask them uh, what do they think is the reason for behind them not succeeding? What are the bottlenecks? Where I can be of help? How we can improve it? And that's where I go to details. But every single day going into details and making sure that they do the job, that's completely counterproductive. Yep. A hundred percent. And because you manage full cell, uh, full cell cycle teams, mm -hmm. uh, do you have two different times to like look at the um, pipeline that they're actually generating and talking more about closing and how like the, the deals are moving forward? So I personally focus mostly on the coaching part. Uh, I do believe that like my job here is not to be like a... Um, um, I don't know, like a person that is just going to uh, track their numbers and like be like organizational piece of the puzzle. I am, uh, I'm seeing myself as a coach of the team. So like my focus is really on like improving their demo skills, prospecting skills, outreach skills, and all of these sides of things. And that's how I believe I can actually help them out when it comes to the actually having the uh, the good conversions but uh, obviously like I would then have my reports in pipe dry I will see like what is lacking what is missing and that's what I would do on my end and then when I see a problem I would come to the SDR that is potentially struggling and that's where we will basically solve it through coaching and through actually pointing out what might be the flaw. Okay very interesting so I'm just trying to project myself here so let's say I was starting in your team today or something like what would be my, I would say my key milestone with you or providing the fact that I've passed the ramp up period, of course, but mm -hmm. what would be my, my key meetings with you on a weekly basis or monthly basis, basically? So it will depend on the seniority of the SDR, but I would say that like we have obviously like the first thing that I look at is the revenue generated. Um, this will obviously depend on the seniority, but uh, we're looking for Uh, the revenue that was generated, uh, then the second part, and this is the, the critical part. Uh, the second part, which I kind of look more as indicators, like what can be improved and what not, but is, this is not something that I strictly look at, is obviously like the number of demos, the number of uh, uh, conversations that has happened, like the number of deals in the pipeline. Um, but I would say that I focus mostly on the revenue itself rather than the number of demos, because you can do like uh, 200 demos in a month and generate and close one lead. Mm -hmm. Uh, and on the other side, you can cl close one company, have one demo, and you would still generate more revenue than if you had, I don't know, like 300 demos booked on your calendar. So it's kind of a mixture of both, but revenue is what we're focusing on the most. Very clear. If we really look at your 101s, like how do you structure them with each person? So if I'm mm. taking the same example, having a 101 with you, uh, I don't know if you do that on a weekly basis, for instance, but what should I expect? Should I come prepared with something? Like how do you organize your your meeting definitely so i always have we have a notion page we are basically using notion for our organization so we have a notion page uh, with agendas for uh, for each team member basically the agendas uh, would contain would be sent in advance before the one-on-one -on -one, uh, where the team member will be uh, able to put their own topics Uh, what they want to discuss, like if there is anything that uh, they want to raise up as an issue, as a question, etc. Uh, then we would have the part where we would cover the actions from this week that were done, actions for the next week that, that are going to be done, 
uh, and then progress on targets. So like we have a nice clean um, uh, table where we basically enter based on our OKRs, how far they're progressing. And then uh, at the end of the page, we would always have like, if there, I would have a question, are there any special topics for me to be aware? And where do you need my help uh, for me to take any action? Uh, so like the reps will be the one coming to me with the agenda. And I find that useful simply because that's again, how you create ownership and you're not being the one telling them what to do, but they're owning their own work and they're managing themselves and being the best employee they can be for the company as well. I think what you just said resonates a lot with me because I remember when I started also the team at Flix back a year and something ago, same thing. Like we, I really tried to understand like how I could get ownership to people because I think that just being behind people's back every time, it's really not the right way of doing thing. And, and mm. at Flix, it's really remote. We see each other occasionally, but most of the time people are based remotely. So my big mm -hmm. challenge was to also try to understand like how can I create this culture of ownership where, where people feel like they can be others of what they're doing without having me all the time uh, on the back. And I think what you just mentioned, that's also like that was also one of my first conclusions is that if I get them to run their own meetings and coming to present mm -hmm. their data and what they thought about the work they, they did without actually me asking the question, I think it, mm. it felt like they, they were more in control and that I didn't have to be so much behind their back to watch what they were doing on a, on a daily basis. Exactly, exactly. Because when you're present too much, uh, what happens is they kind of, they fall back on you. So like they just like rely on you and they, uh, anytime something is uh, not going well, etc. it's just like uh, they're asking for your help instead of actually starting to think, okay, how can I fix this? How can I solve this? Uh, I'm owning my own work and I'm owning my own um, side of job. So anytime that you're like being too present, you're actually taking this control from them. And uh, then when you need them to take control, you cannot really go back uh, and change, change the scenario. Yeah, 100%. And do you feel that the people that are remote, do you feel that you you can spot easily when something is wrong? Because that's one of the challenges that I could feel at the beginning is that with a complete remote team, it's easy not to see what's going on. Definitely. That's why I also like, aside from the one-on-ones that I have for the like work progress and like talking about work, I have one-on-ones that are literally just like to catch up with them and like see what's up in their own lives and like if they're feeling okay, if they're feeling nice. good. Just like an networking kind of a, like I would share what's happening in my life, obviously like not going too personal or too deep, Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, kind of like having this feeling of uh, what's up with the outside of work and what's happening with them. Um, I do believe and how happy they are with work. Like even if we're talking about work, how are you happy with work? Or do you feeling um, your workload is too high or you feeling stressed, etc. And like uh, asking those questions itself uh sometimes is even enough because then they know that you care and they can actually open up and talk about it. Um, I would say that not having these calls is a really huge mistake if you're actually re leading a remote team because you still need to be, you're, ta you're leading people, you're not leading like little robots that are just working for you. Um, so having this connection with them, I think is really essential. And uh, you yourself as a manager, being authentic, being vulnerable, being open, uh, not pretending to never make a mistake and just being super harsh uh, is what will actually get them to open up uh, and 
if you're a good manager, you're actually able to spot if somebody's hiding something, if somebody is like not feeling well, like especially as a sales leader, my job is to always know uh, and to read people. So I'm, I, hopefully I'm, I'm good at it, good <laughs> enough, and I can do that with my team as well. I really love what you say. The, the topic for me of vulnerability is something that is kind of still taboo at work. Mm. I think in the startup world, like we are getting better, but I have countless examples of managers that have conversation with which are telling me you know you have to put kind of a mask at work because mm -hmm. you have to really separate what's going on there what's and what's going on outside and I think it's a shame I, th I think work should also be a way for anyone to also be authentic and I think mm -hmm. the more authentic you are the more your team actually sees it respects it and as you said actually just just goes with it I don't think people just want robot managers nowadays exactly exactly and people can spot fake so like uh, if you're pretending to be something i mean uh, hopefully you've hired smart people smart people are going to be able to see through you so like you're just doing yourself disadvantage rather than like by putting up this face of something that you're not oh yeah 100 percent. that's uh that's that's definitely something that i spot did you have any any issues at some point uh wanting to implement that so like really be vulnerable because the I guess like the, the drawback of that is that perhaps you can be too friendly with people. So like, where's the limit between being too friendly and still being the manager? Like, did you have any problems with that at all? Unfortunately, I have. This is one of the biggest learnings of my career, I would say, where uh, I kind of, I think I went too far in being friends uh, with uh, certain team members and like not being friends, but simply being open and being vulnerable. And like uh, they became close to me. Uh, so what happened is that once once I had to let them go, uh, it was a complete nightmare, obviously, because they've taken it personally. Uh, it was really not um, it it couldn't it couldn't have been professional um, separation, I would say, from the from the from the company. Uh, but it felt like you know it felt like a small divorce, which is like uh, that's not how it should feel. So I would say that, that I made this mistake in my initial years of management and. Uh, Eventually, I've learned, obviously, from those mistakes. So, like, there's still this balance. You're not going to be friends uh, and, uh, like, best friends with your team members, but you can still be a human being to your team members. That's where we should try to find the balance, and it's clearly not that easy, mm. for sure. I, 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 I still am not 100% sure that I'm able to do it, but, I mean, we're learning and we're, we're all getting there. <laughs> I think it's just kind of a constant dance that you have to do mm. adjusting and because everyone is different you're going to react differently to the people you meet and the people you manage so you don't really have a choice right like you have exactly. to like relearn every time exactly exactly percent. <laughs> <100%. laughs> uh, nice um and i actually have um a question like what advice would you give to that manager who would want to let's say break the old codes and manage you know with this culture of ownership and vulnerability <laughs> <laughs> if i had a question uh, an answer to that <laughs> um i would say that uh, first of all this is kind of my learning as well because um when you're looking for a job and when you're um actually interviewing to, to become a manager at a certain company i think these are the essential questions that you need to ask Uh, because if your core values and you're like, you want to lead with empathy, you want to lead with kindness, you're focused on mental health, etc. Um, and for example, the company culture that you're joining is completely opposite of that. 
it's not going to be a fit. I mean, you're not going to be leading in a way that feels right for you. And uh, if anything goes wrong, you will not feel satisfied. You will blame the person on the other side, but you're still responsible. So like at the end of the day, like this is the biggest mistake that you can make to actually have a clash in core values with your management and uh, with the company that you're joining. But if you're already in this position and like right now you want to maybe potentially change things, uh, obviously first to talk with your manager or like CEO is essential and coming prepared with the facts, stats, data, why this actually works, why it matters with examples and really trying to kind of pitch this entire idea to them um, and giving them uh, a time frame of how long you would like to test this out for. So for example, like uh, uh, let me, let me try this out for like five months. Let's see how it goes. And then if it's not working, then we can go back to like your vision. Um, hopefully the company is open for you to experiment, test and fail and learn from those mistakes. If it's not, again, I think at the end of the day, like uh, you can become a buffer between your CEO and the team, uh, potentially like implement some of the things that they're requesting from you, but still be kind and gentle, etc. to some extent. And at the end of the day, maybe it's just not a fit. So I would say that like the biggest challenge that all leaders are facing is the topper management not not agreeing with this type of leadership. And it's a battle that we need to win for for years, like to literally lead, because I don't think it's going to change very uh, fast. Uh, and a lot of leaders are accepting this type of approach, but it's just a step-by-step approach, I would say. Definitely. I think it's a kind of a crusade uh, that's that's <laughs> probably going to take a few years exactly. before making changes. But I'm really glad to see some voices actually speaking out. I think it's mm-hmm. very important to comfort people that, yes, it is possible and you can stick by it because it's going to work. But I would say, because this is the topic that I kind of had in mind uh, the last couple of weeks, this is a call for every single as every single team member that is actually having a leader that is leading with empathy, that is leading with kindness, uh, that uh, for them to be able to do this, like you need to respect that and actually work. Uh, so don't take, like what happens is that a lot of team members will take advantage of this. And that's why top, topper management doesn't want to actually have this type of leadership so I do think that if we want to build a world where we are leading with kindness, where people, where employees are feeling, feeling happy, satisfied, cared for, etc., it's not one-way street. Like you need to be, uh, you need to help your leader be that leader that you want them to be. I think it's a great call, and it definitely will take some time. And as you said, that's mostly the reason why top management can be doubting those, this kind of methodology sometimes because you always have like people who will take advantage. Mm-hmm. And I guess it all goes back to what you said earlier, hiring. But unfortunately, sometimes you don't always choose yeah. every team members. Mm. So you have to deal with it. Mm, that's 100% true. <laughs> 100% true. <laughs> well, so, so insightful. I'm so glad we covered this topic. Before we, we close today's episode, uh, I want to move back to that last section, which is the Oops, My Bad Time. Whoops, my bad. For those who don't know, the Oops, My Bad Time is a few minutes at the end of the episode where the guests share one setback or one mistake that has happened during this country openings effort or internationalization efforts so that hopefully listeners cannot repeat the same mistakes. 
Um, so I would say that one of my uh, mistakes uh, was definitely when we were expanding into the U.S. Uh, market. Um, me and my uh, one of my top top performers, uh, Simon, right now head of people, uh, we actually started expanding into the U.S. and I don't know if it was because we were kind of scared to get started or we were like uh, delaying the, us getting started. Like we worked, we spent so much time on strategizing, on building out the plan, on building out um, the vision and uh, building out the processes, uh, writing everything in Notion instead of actually just getting to work and start sending those emails and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. So like, I do believe that we've spent too much time on strategizing instead of executing. Okay, so I guess sometimes it's better to actually do. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I mean, you want to have a plan, but most of the time, especially uh, on the startup world, like there's no better way than uh, trial and error, I guess, you know, to actually get going, basically. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Nadia, for coming here. I was so happy to have you here as the first guest to talk about management practices. I hope uh, listeners liked it and are enjoying the tip that you shared. I know that I did. So thank you for coming. And uh, until next time, I guess. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It was really lovely talking to you and uh, looking forward to listening to and tuning in to the following episodes as well. <laughs> Sounds good. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. You too. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to not miss the next one. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn to share any feedback, but also any ideas of guests you might have for upcoming episodes. See you in two weeks. Bye-bye.